0: We looked last week at Matthew 13 at the parable of the treasures. We saw the surpassing value of receiving the gospel in those parables. And there's a progression there. The first parable in 13 that Matthew lays out is the soils to show that there's different receptivity among people. There's the hard heart, there's the stony heart, there's the thorny heart, and then there's the good soil heart. But in all those there's just two types of hearers there's the hearer who's from the world and there's a hearer who has this supernatural hearing that god reveals to them truth because we it's so hard for us to grasp it's like a five-year-old trying to grasp um, trigonometry or calculus their minds just can't comprehend it and it's hard for us to grasp that we can't get spiritual truth unless god gives it but we saw that he says you know, to you, it has been given. And, and, and that should make us all very, very grateful, very thankful for what God has done. It was three years ago Sunday that my daughter received her heart transplant. And um, I can remember many of you praying for her for a long time. And you know, on that day, I I texted the surgeon and I texted the doctor and said thank you. And it took me back and I began to just weep as I thought of being in India, getting that call, that there's a heart there, and knowing that she was in the hands of these two men that God would use to save her life. But I was so grateful. I I, I just wanted to hug them again. There should be a gratefulness on our part that God has revealed truth to us that we get it. Because like Kenny was saying, this guy that he wants to so desperately get it doesn't seem to get it. And so there, sh- it, there should be this gratitude on our part that I think a lot of times we, we dismiss or diminish. And, and so we looked at that surpassing value of God's Gospel in our life. The, the good news that Jesus is the redeeming uh thing for us he's the one he's the one that people waited for for years and years and we know we get to see it and we've experienced it and we've received it but then he talked about this serious accountability last week and and he talked about the fact that there's going to be a judgment there's going to be fire and remember before he went into the parable of the treasure and the pearl he had talked about the tares and the wheat how satan always comes along and he sows he sows counterfeit wheat right next to the real thing. And and I think sometimes we forget that Satan opposes God's work on every level. Whenever we're experiencing some kind of spiritual breakthrough, the enemy's right there to sow discontent, discord, you know, he wants to destroy us. He came to still kill and destroy. And you know, this was evident last week Elliot in here said you need to go see this movie. I don't know, some of you may have heard him say it to me. He was talking about this like arrows. So I go home. Lori and I just came back from Nashville. I was all excited about our time up there. We had a really good four days together of investing in each other. We didn't turn on the TV. All we did was talk, walk, and eat. That's all we did. And, and so we had a great, great time of reconnecting and talking about future and ministry and stuff like that so we come back and i'm going out to be great so i'm proactive hey let's go out we said we got to be more proactive about making time so we go to the movie and uh going to see this christian film and we go to cinemark and when we go into the theater there's people in our seats i mean they're reserved seats because they're all loungers now so the movie started because we got there right when it started. And, and so I say, hey, you're in our seats. And my wife hates confrontation. All right, I'm just going to tell you, she doesn't like if somebody gets behind her on the highway. She can be going 90, and she's like, oh, she's got to get over. And I'm like, you're going 90 miles an hour. You don't have to get over. Just don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> and and but she can't stand people pushing her, or confrontation. So she perceived me as being confrontive. And I was just pointing out these people. They're in our seats. And and the and there was a. 30 something year old girl there and she's like, No, these are our seats. And so then I proceed to count out the seats to show her that she's in my seat. Well, my wife by this time, she's like not liking that at all. So she exits out of the row, and kind of walks down to a seat over on the right, down on the bottom, and says, "Doug, just come down." here. I'm like, "No, she's in our seats, you know, because it's a right wrong thing, right? I mean, it's got to get the truth here." And and so I got my SWAT shirt on, and and, and so my wife, my wife is like, uh, "Just come down here," and I'm like, "No," oh. and I'm and I'm talking to him. The movie's going on, and I'm I think what was going on there was a lot of up angst about what happened with kate that didn't get resolved and i was kind of looking for a fight I think, (laughs) just to be honest and and so i'm like so i'm pointing out i'm raising my voice and i'm not realizing i'm doing it and all the time my wife's down there dying right because i'm standing up in the middle of the movies going on and i'm pointing out to this lady where our seat is well um i go down there I, I finally just look at Lori and I go okay I go down there and I'm just content I'm gonna go I'm not happy about sitting down there and uh, but I go well then she lights into me about wearing the SWAT shirt and making a scene in the theater and I'm like I didn't make a scene I'm just sitting up there explaining about our seat. and so what happened was she got mad at me, I got mad at her, and we sat there through a movie, miserable. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that, but oh, yeah. it's, it's, we sat there, we, we had this big old tub of popcorn that neither one of us ate. We had these big old drinks that neither one of us drank because we were just so irritated with each other, we could not think about anything. And didn't want, to, didn't want to focus on this movie that was about the love of family and how God just comes in and, you know, <laughs> redeems everything. And we didn't want to be redeemed at that point because we were so mad. So, and it's funny now. It was not funny at the time. I was so agitated, I could have punched a wall. And so we go out to the car, and then I made the bright decision to say, why don't you just let me leave? Never say that to your wife in the middle of the fire. Cause that that just like escalated. We had you think what happens in Hawaii's bad with that, er- that, that eruption? I saw an eruption in my truck that night that made that pale in comparison. Cause I just jabbed really, really hard in a verbal way. And all of a sudden, man, we just all the way home. And i was just like what's happening because i'm sitting there and i'm saying stuff and after i say it i'm like why did i say that you dummy i'm just thinking to myself and i get home she goes in goes into the kitchen i go in and go up to my room and um and i'm get, i'm just getting my shower i'm going to bed and i get in the bed and god brings this verse do not let the sun go down on your anger do not let the sun go down on your anger and I hate it when that happens because I'm sitting in the bed and I'm going and this is Thursday night so Friday morning guess what I'm going down to SWAT and I'm going down to the St. Augustine SWAT group and I got to get up and talk to them about the surpassing value of the gospel of Christ when all I want to do is not think about anything about that now what was Satan's role his role is to get me to a place where I don't want to think about the surpassing value of the gospel still killing And I thought while I'm laying in bed, four days of investment ruined in just really 15 minutes of selfishness. Because what it was was, in the big scheme of things, was that movie theater seat to this really cheesy Christian movie worth it? I mean, come on, it wasn't even like the Avengers movie or anything. It was just, it was a cheesy movie that I went to watch. And was it really worth damaging? A reputation over no most of the time the things that Satan uses are not anything worth really fighting for anyway and we allow ourselves to get sucked in but I tell you my wife is so gracious because I went down and I apologized to her and told her I was wrong I repented and because she told me the truth and I didn't want to hear the truth that's really what's happening in this passage today And in uh, Matthew 14. You see, Herod was told the truth. John the Baptist clearly articulated the truth to him, but he didn't want to hear the truth. And so he rejected the truth. And guys, we have a choice all the time. We either can receive the truth and repent because that's what the truth does. It causes us to evaluate where we are in God, in our relationship with God, and we can turn from allowing the enemy to influence us to going back to allowing God to influence us. Even if you're a believer. I mean, the the, the the initial turning is to salvation, obviously. But as believers, so often the enemy comes in and that counterfeit wheat comes in and he's going to plant. What happened in, in Nashville was good. It was investment. And Satan says, you think you made an investment? All right, I'm going to show you how how well that will work out for you. And boom, he brings something. and, And I give in, and then I have a choice. I can either go and repent and say, I was wrong, God. And that's what I did first. I said it to God before I ever said it to my wife. And then I go to my wife. Now, I'll tell you guys, what's cool is years ago, it would have taken me a week or two weeks to do that. And I'm just thankful that I don't go to bed anymore with it like that because he shrunk that time because it's a process. Remember, he's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for a direction of loyalty toward him. And so as we look at this passage, we saw last week that at the end of 13, there was this rejection that was building. It started in Nazareth. And Matthew is now presenting to us really a a backstory of John the Baptist because Herod hears about Jesus. And Herod Herod had already rejected John the Baptist and the message he had. And, and what Matthew's doing is he's laying out here the story of Herod hearing again about Jesus and his popularity, but he's telling the fact that John the Baptist is dead. He'd been dead for a while. Now, when you hear about this particular Herod... Uh, there, I mean, you guys get confused over Herod's in the Bible. There's like 50 of them, right? I mean, there was a family. You have Herod the Great, who was the one who was in charge when Jesus was born. He was was the great one, the well-known one. He's the one who did all the building over there. He's the one that moved a mountain, actually took half of a mountain and moved it to build a great fortress. He built Masada. He he was an incredibly bright, incredibly... uh, uh, you know, he, he just was innovative. He, he, we think of him as a, aloof, but he wasn't. He was very, very sharp. He was cunning. And so he was Herod the Great. He was married to like nine or ten wives and killed some of them, killed some of his kids. He was a terrible guy. He was a monster, uh, as one God described him. Uh, he actually put to death all the members of the Sanhedrin at one point. That's a lot of religious leaders. It's a lot like Jezebel, Ahab, and, um, and uh, Elijah, right, where were, uh, Jezebel killed a lot. And again, th- but this, this guy, Herod, was an evil guy. Well, this, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because he had a son who's the one in this story called Herod the Tetrarch. And the word Tetrarch means forts. It's like he had a part of the kingdom. When Herod the Great died, he left his kingdom to actually, it was three sons, Herod, um, it was Herod Antipas, this guy, Herod the Tetrarch, there was Philip the Tetrarch, who was one of the sons, and Archelaus, and and those were the three guys that were kind of ruling that area. Herod ruled the area around Galilee, so it's interesting to think that he didn't really hear much about Jesus until later but he lived in a city called Tiberias. That's where Herod kind of ruled from. And Tiberias was a place known as a burial ground. So Jewish people didn't live there in Jesus' time. They didn't live there because Jews didn't live among the tombs. So Jesus would have been navigating other places, but Herod hears about Jesus, and so he goes back. And and so Herod now is, is talking about these great things Jesus did. But you also had Herod Agrippa, and I'm sorry, Herod. Yeah, Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa was the one who imprisoned Peter, and he also beheaded James. And then Herod Agrippa's son, Herod Agrippa II, is the one who went to Paul's trial. And he was there with Felix and Festus. And so, so those are the Herods. And so that this Herod right here is Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas had married his niece, who was also the wife of his half brother. If you can follow that, that's sorted, isn't it? I mean, but, but listen, that's, that's what was going on. They did things like that. So Herod lived with his or married. He didn't just live with her. He married his niece who was the, the divorced wife of his half-brother. Not Philip, the leader Philip, the, the, the son that was ruler, but there was another Philip who was a half-brother. That was his wife. She divorced him, Herod's wife divorced her, and they got married. But what's interesting in this passage we're gonna read today is that the Holy Spirit does not refer to Herodias, which is what her name was, as Herod's wife, but he refers to her as Philip's wife. See, the Holy Spirit never recognized their marriage. And and I I just thought that was interesting. So let's read this passage in Matthew 14. And when we come back, we're going to look at really a contrast in belief. You've got Herod over here representing the hard soil, thorny soil, the superficial soil. You got John the Baptist over here representing the good soil. You got Herod over here representing the bad fish. You got John the Baptist representing the good fish. Everything that Matthew had been laying out, he kind of gives a word picture here, uh, a, really a, a living parable. Of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, and Herod, and so as it plays out, uh, we're, we're going to look at um, four things: two about Herod and two about John the Baptist. The two about Herod is that rejecting God's word leads to confusion and fear. You reject His truth; you're gonna—it's it, going to lead to fear and confusion because God's word brings stability. God's word brings uh, a, a rest if you receive it and an understanding but it also if you reject God's mercy it's going to lead to disaster and it leads to condemnation and then with John we see sharing God's word usually leads to conflict with the world if you share God's word you need to expect conflict with the world and then serving as God's messenger will usually bring suffering but it also brings fruit and we'll see that so Starting in 14, verse 1. Let's read what God's Word says. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath, and as guest, he commanded it to be given. Now he sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and they told Jesus. That's sick, isn't it? I mean, you just think about that. I mean, first of all, as you read through that, you, you hear you see this setting. How many times do you hear about birthdays in the Bible? That's like a speed bump. When you see something like that that you don't normally see, do you know there's only twice in the whole Bible that a birthday is mentioned? One is Pharaoh's birthday, and this one, Herod's birthday. The only tw- twice in the whole Bible, because Jewish people didn't celebrate birthdays. The Jewish people did not celebrate the birthdays. What they celebrated was what? Bas Mitzvah. Bar Mitzvah. When they the, the step into manhood or womanhood. But they didn't celebrate birthdays. But the pagans did. The Gentiles did. And it was always a carnal celebration. Filled almost like with orgies and, and, and drinking and drunkenness. It was all... A celebration of flesh and pleasure. And that's pretty much what describes Herod. He was a man who sought pleasure and power more than anything else. That's what drove his life. Contrasted with John the Baptist who sought to serve and to share the good news. That, I mean, think about these two men. There's, there's no starker contrast. Herod represents the world. John the Baptist represents Jesus. Almost like a foreshadowing. And what what Matthew is laying out to the people that would be reading this is, if you're gonna follow Jesus, if you're gonna be in that relationship with Jesus, it's not going to be what you think it's gonna be because they thought that the Messiah was gonna bring instant gratification in the form of kicking out Rome and establishing Israel as the rulers there. And see, we get a lot of that same message today. In the churches today people when they think about jesus they're not drawn to the fact that they need an eternal savior they're not drawn to the fact that the wrath of god is resting on them and they're at enmity with god and they need relief from that they come to god just because he's going to make their life better you need jesus in your life and that's the message that a lot of people hear no matter how much we try to to say that isn't it even in what I would call very solid evangelical churches that message has crept into where people just see Jesus as a fix or an add-on to their life to make their life better instead of something they desperately need like my daughter desperately needed a heart transplant she desperately needed it it wasn't a matter of convenience for her it was there was no other option and and maybe Kenny the reason your friend doesn't receive is he just sees it as an option because that's the message that a lot of people get what's so gracious about our lord is he brings people into our life to give us this message and he brought john the baptist into herod's life to say what you're doing isn't lawful now i that struck me because herod was an idumean what that means he was an edomite he was not even a jewish person he was an idumean married to a Samaritan woman. And yet, he's getting this message of the law. Does the law apply to him? Of course it does. You know, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, you shouldn't be sharing with they, those people because they don't care. They're not, they don't, they come from a, a Muslim background or they come from a Buddhist background. Ever, does it, you think people are going to be able to stand before God and say, well, I was a Buddhist, God? I was a Muslim. No, it, it, it applies. The morality applies to everybody, you know? And, and so when you see our country going down the toilet morally, and people go, well, we shouldn't say anything because you know, we, we, we can't get involved. You know, that's just your, that's your opinion. Who sets the objective standards for cultures across the world? Who's in, is, is it just the government? And we have a responsibility as believers to be people who will speak truth into those situations. Somebody asks you, do you, do you think it's wrong for two men to be married? What are you gonna say? Absolutely. What if your boss asks you that? Yeah. What if, you know, the, the, the thing is, a lot of times we're willing to take a stand when there's no cost involved. And, and John the Baptist goes out here and he gives the truth to Herod. But what did Herod do? He rejected it. He rejected <laughs> God's Word. And we see that by what he, he did. He put John in prison because he got tired of hearing him talking in public about it. He already feared. He had such fear in his life. He feared losing control to the people. And so he takes John and puts him in prison, but he was he won't kill him. Why? Because he's afraid. The people recognize him as a prophet and he's afraid the people are going to rise up against him his life is dominated by fear guys and he's confused because when jesus is on the scene he starts going he's paranoid maybe it's john the baptist reincarnated maybe 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 he's come back maybe this is vengeance because the greeks believed in vengeance like that that the gods might come back and 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 bring vengeance into your life when you've done something and so he was paranoid but again there's such similarities between Ahab and uh, Jezebel in the Old Testament and Elijah. And, you know, when, when Elijah came, you know what uh, Ahab referred to Elijah as? You troubler of Israel. He hated it. He didn't like the message. And I think sometimes for us as believers even, when people bring messages to us that reveal flaws in our life, that's that brotherhood of accountability that we should desire. We don't like it. I did not like it when I was in that theater and my wife was pointing out to me something that I was doing that probably wasn't good. See, I still have a hard time just saying it wasn't good. <laughs> That's the human nature. It is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is this enemy constantly trying to get us to buy into the fact that we're not so bad. And, and it's... Just flat-out pride, to be honest with you. Herod was ruled by pride. He was ruled by fear. And he was ruled by this desire for for power and not losing it. The more I read Scripture, you know what I see over and over and over again? From Old Testament New Testament is the sovereignty of God. So if God is revealing truth to you through a brother, you, you better receive it. Because if you don't, you know what? When you reject God's Word and truth in your life, you're, you're going to live in fear and you're going to live in confusion. You're not going to see. when It says he didn't know who Jesus was. He wanted to know. And do you know what happened? He rejected God's mercy when God mercifully brought John the Baptist, the greatest human being that ever lived according to Jesus to that point, and he killed him. He rejected the messenger that God sent. He rejected God's mercy And his whole life went downhill after that. You know, he stood before Jesus, or Jesus stood before him, and Jesus didn't tell him anything, did he? He wanted him to do something. He wanted to do like a magic trick. Jesus could have told him, I'm the one. I am the Son of God. You need to repent. Jesus didn't say anything to him. That's sad. You have... The God of the universe standing in front of you and he says nothing to you. Why? Because he had rejected and rejected. And you know what? Remember, we covered in John when we looked through John a few years ago about judicial blindness in John chapter 12, verses 37? The people move from a point where they do not believe by their choice to a place where they cannot believe by God's decree. They reject the gospel. And God's truth so often that God then says, okay, He hardens their heart and they can't receive it. And He doesn't give them the truth anymore. That's sad to me. It makes me think um, of that passage in Luke 14 too, because everybody always has excuses why they can't do what God wants them to do, why they can't receive His truth. Luke 14 is about this great banquet. And there's invitations given. Oh, I can't come. I just got married. I can't come. i got all these new animals i got to take care of. There's always an excuse. And God says they're not going to taste anything in the kingdom. And that's sad to me. That's sad. But that is a picture of the world. It is. You know, have you seen that commercial that says these are, who are those people? You know, these people buying a house. People are really excited about their new house and these people show up and they look miserable and they go, who are they? Oh, those are the not yous. In other words, they didn't use realtor.com so they didn't get what they needed to get and what they wanted to get. Well, Herod is the not you in this because he didn't get it. He thought he was getting the right thing but he was only living for himself. Everything was about Herod. And you see this life of, of just nothing but vile living. You know, there's people that look at, I, take the most vile person that you know. He, he can't compare to Herod. This Herod was vile. And yet, God in his mercy sent John the Baptist to him to tell him that was not a judgmental thing. See, the problem with our world is they see God's invitation as judgment, just like Herod did. When we bring truth to people, it's not a bad thing. When we bring truth to people, it's a loving thing. Now sometimes we don't always give it loving. That's on us. But the truth of God, was what Herod doing unlawful? Was his relationship with Herodias unlawful? Yes or no? Yeah, Yeah, it was unlawful. So what John the Baptist was doing was a merciful thing. It was God's mercy. You know, when when I stood up in that theater and was all agitated about that seat, do you think that was glorifying to God? No. I, I can tell you it wasn't. I know it wasn't. At the time, I didn't want to acknowledge that it wasn't because all I cared about was what I got out of it. I paid for that seat. And that's what the enemy does. So often he will... The, the, Let us fight over things that we think we have a right to. When we come to Christ, what does he say in Luke 9? He says, anyone who comes to me must what? First, deny himself. Take up his cross, which is an instrument of execution, to everything that you hold dear. And what? Follow me. And and I got to thinking about it when I was laying up in the bed that night. Jesus wouldn't have fought over that seat. I know he wouldn't have. Why was it so hard for me to get it then? Because the enemy is the master at hitting you when you think. And and I thought about what I'd been doing. See, I was so riled up about what happened in my daughter's life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to go do this. And God revealed to me I can't do squat. He had already protected her. He brought a police officer into her life right there at that moment where she needed it. He was in charge. He was already doing that. Who am I? But it made me feel better about myself to say, I'm going to do this. And that led me to where I did what I did in that theater. We have to be so guarded against puffing up ourselves about us doing anything. Everything we have comes from God. And here's the thing. Even though we see this picture of Herod, God in his mercy... shows us that, you know, John the Baptist, he continues to share with him. He shares the word. He's not, you know, he doubts, and mercifully we see that in scripture, that he sends people to Jesus, and what does his disciples bring back from Jesus? Go tell him what you see and what you hear, what you experience here. He didn't condemn John for being in prison and wondering if he was the one, because why am I sitting in this prison if you're the one? guys can I just tell you if you really follow Jesus you're gonna sit in some prisons in your life it may not be like his prison but there's going to be some things in your life that you don't want to experience that you're going to experience if you follow Jesus sharing God's Word leads to conflict with the world first Peter 4 says don't be surprised brothers don't be surprised that these things are happening among you. He wrote that to encourage people who were being persecuted. In fact, he says rejoice. Rejoice in your suffering. You know, the disciples in Acts, when they were beaten for Jesus, they counted it all joy that they could be uh, punished. That, that's, that's the way John Monger was. I was talking with uh, a guy yesterday Actually, we're talking on the radio about it. John Monger is the guy that I met over in Bhutan back about uh, 12 years ago. Many of you guys know his story. He was persecuted. I really see that as a transition in my spiritual journey to hang around John. Because the guy on the radio yesterday was talking about, you know, somebody asked the question last week, how do I move from a place where Jesus is a casual acquaintance where I, I, I love him and I appreciate him. But he's not the surpassing value in my life. How do I move from where I'm at now to that place? And this guy yesterday hang around people who he is a surpassing value for. And that's what God did. He brought a guy like that into my life and john and Dawa those two guys and hanging around them. I I have absolutely seen it rub off for me to look at things as inconsequential. Like they looked at I mean, how can you be in prison being beaten and instead of being upset about the fact that you're being beaten because of, of not walking out and denying Jesus, you're praising God and thanking Him that, that you were worthy to be beaten for Him. That's what the disciples did. It's what John Monger did. And I've talked to him about it. And he talks about it with joy. He does not talk about it I did this with this mopey kind of attitude like we have a lot of times as men when we are required to sacrifice on behalf of Jesus. It's going to lead to conflict with the world, guys. And uh, 2 Timothy, Paul said, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted, period. And our culture of all the cultures in the world, even though the persecution here is not like in the Middle East, Satan has done a very good job of keeping us quiet because the Christian church is a silent, silent voice right now in our culture. You look around. How can 95% of the people in churches not ever have told anybody about Jesus? Because we've been quieted. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody's excited. I mean, it is a rare thing when you hear about people sharing the gospel of Christ now, and, and, and it's almost like you're a super Christian. You're, you're like, they're whacked out. They're a Jesus freak if you share Jesus with somebody. It was normative for the people during this culture, for the Bible-believing, the Scripture-loving, Jesus-loving people like John the Baptist. He is a picture of what it means. And when you do that, guys, you're going to encounter conflict. The question is... Are you going to be loyal to Jesus or loyal to yourself? See, Herod was loyal to himself. He wasn't giving up anything for the personal pleasure. He wasn't giving up anything to, to lose that power in his life. And I really think that's a big struggle that we have. Well, John also has a picture of when we serve as God's ambassador or as messenger, it is going to bring suffering for us But it's going to bring fruit, right? These disciples, where did they go down here in verse 12? His disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and they told Jesus. They went to Jesus. When you struggle, when when there is suffering in your life, where do you go? You go to Jesus. You go to Jesus. You know what? There's nothing more beautiful to me than somebody who is suffering on behalf of Christ, who goes to Christ and remains in Christ. It's like Job. Job is one of the greatest testimonies in the whole Bible. I love reading through Job. A lot of people hate reading that book, but I love reading that book because you've got a guy who loses everything, but yet he still comes back to the God of all creation. And he does so in humility. He does so in humility. Soren Kierkegaard says, the tyrant dies and his rule ends. But the martyr dies and his rule begins. And I see that in John the Baptist. He had a very significant impact. He had a very significant impact because he did not care. He was so bought into it. He knew he was suffering. And isn't it fitting where he he dies in this cold, lonely, dark cell with his head cut off? Can you imagine what it was like waiting? Just being in there? He knew the reputation of the Herods. He knew the family. He knew how ruthless they were. And yet Herod seemed to play back and forth, back and forth with him. He would probably want to hear talk but he never really bought into it. And I wonder if every time Herod came down there, if he thought, this is the day I'm going to die. And then that day finally came and he saw the executioner blade. I don't think he was sitting there going, man, I thought I was going to get out of this at that point. I think he was probably like Stephen. When Stephen looked up when he was being martyred, he saw Jesus. I think there was probably a light in that cell that only John saw. Herod's kingdom ended the day he died. Okay, His kingdom's gone forever. He is in forever torment. John the Baptist will rule forever. You can't forget that, guys, this life is so temporary. What are you living for? Which place are you? Are you rejecting His Word? Because, I, I listen, if you're a believer, you can still reject His truth. I think you can sin to death. I think that's what 1 John 5 says. You can reject His truth. It, it, you just don't go on autopilot after you come into the kingdom. The question is, when God brings opportunities in your life, what do you do with them? When He brings truth into your life, what do you do with it? Do you receive it? Do you reject it? Because if you reject it, you're going to live in fear. As believers, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. We live understanding God provides everything we need to do everything he wants us to accomplish. Do you realize when I talk to these guys, Kenny, when I talked to you about the Philippine trip and you said, I don't have money. What did I say to you? It's not, you, not your problem. It's not your problem. I said the same thing to you, didn't I, Ron? It's not our problem. The money is never the issue for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's not an issue. The issue for us is will we be obedient? If we sense God calling us to do something, when we start making excuses, what we're saying is, God, I'm looking for a way out of this. Instead of saying, God, okay, I hear your call. I'm going to obey you. What are we going to do? Because, guys, you reject truth. I'm telling you, you'll live in fear. You'll live in confusion. You go, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Because you keep rejecting the truth God brings into your life. You reject His mercy. That's like this guy. Pray for him, man. Your life ends in condemnation and disaster. He calls us to share His word, guys. Go share His word. Know you're going to be in conflict. Know that there's going to be suffering, but also know there's going to be fruit. There will be fruit. You know what? John Monger now leads the Bhutanese church in America. There's over 150 churches of anywhere from 100 up to as many as 500 Bhutanese refugees all across this country. Many of them can trace their spiritual roots back to John Monger's witness and testimony. There's fruit. It came at a pretty good price. I mean, and for him, it wasn't what some of the guys in the Middle East are paying. I don't want to minimize the 18 months, but there's guys over there who've been tortured far worse than John, and some of them losing their lives. And yet the people continue to go on. What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna be? Are we gonna be with the world, or are we gonna be with Jesus? For me, I made that decision. I'm with Jesus. I can't say no to him and that's my encouragement to you don't say no to him as you think about today when you leave I think there's really two things when God brings truth into your life first question is are you going to repent when truth confronts you about your life here on earth are you going to repent are you going to run like Harry he ran he was a runner and then second are you going to speak the truth boldly expecting suffering See, realistic expectations are important, aren't they, Kent? In the Marine Corps, they don't tell you, hey, come in, man, you're just going to be sitting on a beach in Hawaii at Kanuei Bay, sipping on a Mai Tai. That's what we want. Just put on a uniform and come hang out. They don't tell you that. They tell you from the time you get in how hard it's going to be. And I think we've lost some of that when we talk about Christ and what The the mission is here on earth. So my prayer for each one of you is that that uh, you think about that in your own life. You listen to what God says and then respond. Uh, So John, will you close our time in prayer?